When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Wild Precious Life is brought to you in part by Brain Lair Books, a black-owned, woman-owned children's bookstore located in South Bend, Indiana. At Brain Lair, we partner with local schools and universities to help build an inclusive, welcoming community. We specialize in juvenile and young adult literature written by and for black, indigenous people of color, LGBTQIA+, and disabled communities, as well as adult nonfiction about ending white supremacy, promoting anti-racism, and becoming a social activist. We can help you find the books you need. Drop by or browse online at shop.brainlairbooks.com. And we're brought to you in part by Literary Cleveland, developing writers, amplifying voices, and transforming our community through storytelling. At Literary Cleveland, you can explore other voices and discover your own. Shop for classes and find your creative community at litcleveland.org. Do you remember how growing up, a lot of us were taught not to talk about race? Someone, likely someone super well-intentioned, maybe a grandparent— or even a teacher, thought it was best that we not mention it. As though if we called attention to race, we were somehow part of the problem. But in recent years, as this country has continued to wrestle with racial equity and social justice, reading anti-racist books has taught me that when we talk about race, we can be part of the solution. In his most recent books, Kwame Alexander has been helping us do just that. In The Door of No Return, he's taken us back to 1860 Ghana to tell us the beginning of a story that too often Americans have only learned the middle of. And in his most recent book, An American Story, Kwame has laid out a roadmap for how teachers of young children can talk to students about slavery by, quote, holding history in one hand and clenching hope in the other. A thread that flows through Kwame's books is that both children and adults can read difficult stories and still hold on to hope. I am so glad to be alive at a time when this gentleman is speaking and writing. Kwame Alexander is a poet, educator, producer, and number one New York Times bestselling author of 37 books, including An American Story, The Door of No Return, and his Newbery Award-winning book, the crossover. A regular contributor to NPR's Morning Edition, Kwame is the recipient of numerous awards, including the Lee Bennett Hopkins Poetry Award, the Coretta Scott King Author Honor, and the 2017 inaugural Pat Conroy Legacy Award. In 2018, he opened the Barbara E. Alexander Memorial Library and Health Clinic in Ghana as part of Leap for Ghana, an international literacy program. 
He is also the writer and executive producer of the Crossover TV series, which premieres on Disney Channel and Disney Plus in April 2023. Kwame Alexander, welcome to Wild Precious Life. So good to be here with you, Anne-Marie. <laughs> Seriously, I am just, I'm having all the feels right now. I mean... I'm not having this... I'm not having the same kind of feels as you because I'm sitting in like 20 degree weather and my my heater's not working as well, but it's all good. Okay, we're going to heat things up in here. Oh, okay. You're going to bring the fire. You're going to bring that fire. I'm going to start with a confession, though. As a parent of three semi-sporty but really readerly kiddos, I'll confess that I'll confess that prior to this past year, I largely knew you as... Kwame Alexander, the guy who wrote the sports games novels. There was Booked, there was Rebound, The Undefeated, The Crossover, good stories, great stories, but I will admit, not books I necessarily bought. For me, I got them for my kids. But then last year, with The Door of No Return, you took my breath away. And then this year, with An American Story, you're doing different and more. You're tackling narratives previously untold to entirely too many of us, especially young readers. I'm just so excited to dive in and talk about the full body of your work. But for the two and a half listeners who don't know you, who don't know your residency as an NPR poet, who don't know your TV appearances, or your school visits, I wonder if you would just first Tell us some of the Kwame Alexander story. Never let anyone lower your goals. Always shoot for the sun and you will shine. Dribble, fake, shoot, miss. Dribble, fake, shoot, miss. Dribble, fake, shoot, miss. Dribble, fake, shoot, swish. Those are all from the crossover and rebound. And they are about basketball, but... Anne-Marie, they have nothing to do with basketball. I write books about life and coming of age and how I can encourage, inspire young people to cross over into young adulthood. That's what my stories are about. They're about me trying to remember everything I learned when I was growing up and in middle school, and my father used to say, you know, Kwame, you can't know what you don't know. Or my grandmother used to say, dishwater gives back no images. Like, I would be like, what are they talking about? But those things still stuck with me. And when I figured them out, I was like, how do I pass on these sort of, these, uh, these wise, these, this wisdom to my kids, to young people? So those are the books I write. So yeah, sports is the, sports is, Let's say sports is the vehicle, Anne-Marie, in the crossover, booked, rebound, swing, but it's not the destination. Where I'm trying to take you is to um, an appreciation of not only language and literature, but an appreciation of, of your capacity as a human being. One of my favorite quotes, I am the greatest, not because I am better than anyone but because no one is better than me. Ultimately, that's, you know, that's what, that's, that's, that's the message I'm trying to get across. I think probably all my books, I'm, I'm saying the same thing. And if I'm doing my job right, I'm creating characters 
and stories that are very different, but it comes down to the same thing. I love that. I love that. One of my favorite things about Kofi in The Doer of No Return is how often he asks the grownups all around him, what do you mean by that? (laughs) They'll give him a story about a fish or about a tree, and it's like, I don't know what you mean. And I remember being a younger reader and not always feeling like I understood the riddles in the books and like there was something wrong with me. One of my favorite things about Kofi is when he doesn't understand the riddle or the message, he just says, I don't understand. There was something so brave about that. I feel like I was 30 years old before I learned to say, I don't understand. Will you explain that again or will you help me learn? which is, you know, what books are always doing for us. It's what your books are doing. But I feel like that's one of my favorite things about Kofi. So for folks who haven't read it, your 2022 book, The Door of No Return, is structured so beautifully. We get many stories in one story, but it begins with a boy in a village. And yes, it's 1860 and it's Ghana, but it's so utterly recognizable to us today, right? He's a boy with a crush on a girl. He's a boy making fun of his teacher. He's a boy with, you know, a tiff. He's in a tiff with his cousin. How deliberate was it for you to make a world we understood like that? Well, that was the point of the book, really, Anne-Marie. I wanted to write a book about a, a kid like me when I was in, you know, middle school and grade school, and he has a crush on a girl. Like you said, he has a cousin who's a bully who likes the same girl, and his cousin beats him at everything, at racing and wrestling. And uh, But he's a good swimmer, so he challenges his cousin to a swim-off. He thinks that's going to be, like, you know, the answer to all of his problems. If he beats his cousin in a swim-off, he will win back his pride. He will win the heart of the girl. You know, you start trying to think, how, what does a kid, how does a kid think? How does a kid, what's, what's the logic you know, the rationale behind how kids sort of think about how they can sort of move in this world and and survive it and thrive in it. And so I wanted to write that story that it is taking place in 1860 in West Africa. You know, that was another sort of intention of mine. The stories, the narrative that we've created around Africa and how we view it and what we think about it and what we don't know about it. And I posit that you know, having been there 11 times to Ghana, West Africa, I saw firsthand that these children in these, in these villages and in the cities, they dance, hope, smile, play, dream, work, avoid chores, laugh, <laughs> live, love, die, just like every other kid. So it was intentional to really shine a light for the world to see a, another, a different side, a more accurate side of what life might have been like in Africa through the eyes of this child growing up. That completely comes through. And then I think part of my obsession with this book then is that I know him. I love him. Kofi's a kid I see my kids in, kids that I teach, my own children, And then just past halfway through the book, maybe three quarters, what we know was coming the whole time happens. He's kidnapped. Kofi is kidnapped from his family. He's sold into slavery. 
He changes hands and rooms and and captors, but the result we know from the title is going to be the same. He's going to exit through a door of no return, be loaded onto some white man's ship. You and I are about the same age. I know this story. You know this story. But did you ever learn this story in school? No. No, I definitely didn't learn this story because the stuff you described, sort of the traumatic parts of this story, they don't happen until page 302. So you're talking about a 400-page book that is centered around life in West Africa. What was life like? You didn't hear any of that in school. You know, if you're lucky, you got what happened in terms of, you know, this thing, this, 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 this thing that happened to Africans, this thing that, did, that doesn't define Africans, but that happened to them, this thing called slavery, this brutal traumatic thing. If you're lucky, you got a little bit of that in social studies or history class. But you you did not get, you know, this 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 we have this understanding and and this this belief that 1619 was the beginning of black history. And of course, I believe that it was not, that in fact it was our middle. And so no, we never, I never got the beginning or a beginning. So writing this book was my way of saying, okay, I'm gonna write a beginning. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paint a different picture. I'm going to start a different narrative, something that's a little bit more accurate, more meaningful, more human. Yeah, 100%. And it's a terrible story, but it's also beautifully, beautifully written. So the whole time as a reader, I'm holding on to these two truths. I'm in this beautiful story of this kid in his village, so I'm there with him through the ups and downs. And it's it's written for those who... Well, for those who haven't read read it, it's written in verse. It's written in poetry. We get pages, well, like this one. This is not a dream. This is not a dream. Is not you running from a leopard or becoming one. Is not a spider being chased by a crocodile or a cousin or a snake. Is not you riding a blue whale into the night? Is not you perched on a branch? Is not Ibu playing a joke Mm. on you? Is not your mammy's voice in the morning? Is not the touch of Amma's hand in yours or a smile or a kiss? This is not you tripping or sinking like a ship. This is you moving and then not. This is you falling up. Oh, my God, Kwame, it's gorgeous gorgeous and also terrible. I admire your repetition in what I would call your percussive, even drum-like lines. You write with your heart. And like a number of your previous books, it's written in poetry. I know you've talked about poetry as a way to tell an emotionally heavy story, but I don't think everyone believes that. Why do you think poetry is the way in? It's so short. It's so concise. There's so much white space. It's not intimidating. You have to choose the right words. You have to put them in the right order. You know, it allows the reader to to be able to sort of enter the story in a in a way that that hits them in the heart. That hits them emotionally. You know, it's like a shot. You go to the smoothie shop, you, you know, you go to get a smoothie. And they ask, do you want a shot of wheatgrass? 
or you want a shot of vitamin C, or you know, you want a shot of something to give you turmeric or cayenne pepper to give you that extra boost. Poetry is that it's that shot. It gives you that shot. It's immediate. It has an immediate impact on you. I always believe if you want to sort of change the way people act, you got to change the way they think. You want to change the way they think, you got to change the way they feel. What what better and what more surefire way to get people changing the way they feel than through a poem, through that ancient language of love? I just find it to be very, you know, be a be a, a very good tool at being able to accomplish that. And that's ultimately what I'm trying to do in my writing is to change people's minds, is to change the way they think and ultimately help them become better human beings. <laughs> well, man, you are doing that. You're bringing the cayenne pepper. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, you're right. It is It is hot in here now. Woo! All right. Well, The Door of No Return, you've been busy because this is not that old of a book. This is yeah. last year, but it's so last year because you also have a new book out, which is a children's story, an American story. And I feel like it echoes a lot of these same themes, but it's told to a younger audience. Um, in the beginning, you asked that question, how do you tell a story that starts in Africa and ends in horror? And at the end of An American Story, you talk about this idea coming from your daughter's fourth grade classroom. What happened and how did that take its shape into this new book? My daughter and I sort of have different remembrances of what happened. I thought her teacher assigned them, assigned her fourth grade class to create a billboard to promote a one of the 13 colonies. So we agree on that part. And that they were that the class was divided into groups of three. We agree on that part. And and the group that she was in consisted of she and two girls, one black, one white. We don't agree on that part. And then I, what I think happened is that the white girl in her group created a billboard that said, welcome to Virginia, we love our good slaves. That's what I recall my daughter telling me when she came home crying as a fourth grader. Her recollection is that the white girl in her group said to her and a friend, another black girl, you all can be my slaves. So either way, it has something to do with slavery and it caused a ruckus and there was crying and the teacher took the kids out of the classroom and had a conversation that involved make sure you apologize to each other, but didn't really involve any conversation about the subject matter. She just sort of glossed over it. So I had a meeting with the teacher. I went up to the school and before I could really get get some answers, the teacher began crying. And I realized that she was crying out of uh, fear and uh, an ignorance, uh, a confusion, an uncertainty. Like she didn't know how to teach this t the topic. She just had no idea. She was unprepared. And so instead of judging her, I just felt bad for her and other teachers who are not, are ill-equipped to teach slavery and other hard topics. And so this book became my way of trying to address that and trying to help teachers 
and trying to offer something to to educators who really wanted to have this conversation with with young students. Sure. I remember being a young teacher. I remember what it felt like to have your first parent-teacher conferences and think that it was either combative or like it was something to win that you either win it or you lose. Like, you got to prove yourself. I remember that feeling because I was 22, maybe 23 years old, and these parents were walking in, shaking their heads. Nah, they got the new teacher. But I don't remember when along the way, I realized that parents and teachers generally want the same thing for the kids. We want them to grow and learn and become their best selves. We want our students both challenged and nurtured. We want to push these young people and make them feel safe on that path toward adulthood. It's a partnership and that those conversations that parents have and teachers have and and kids have, everyone has wisdom. And when you can bring it all together, glorious things can happen. That's where the learning is. And what I thought about reading this book, again, I've, I've had three kids go through school. I've been a teacher myself. I just, I've never read anything like an American story in a classroom. I just haven't. You're doing something here. Yeah, I mean, I wanted to make it really as simple as possible and non-judgmental and and so I decided to write it from the standpoint of the teacher who, who, A, does not want to teach slavery, B, does not know how to teach it, and C, has to, has to figure out a way to do it. And so I feel like through, by doing it through those eyes, you know, I was able to, to get, I was able to create a text that teachers can use in their classrooms, let, and, and the book does the heavy work. And that was important to me. Yes. And you ask that question, quote, how do you tell a story this hard to hear, one that hurts? And still loves. God, I love that question. I feel like this is so central to what we are all trying to figure out about this country today. It's what Amani Perry is doing in South to America. It's what Clint Smith is doing and how the word is passed. How do you tell a story so hard to hear, but that includes both the hurt and the love? Right, right. I think that the tragedy of us right now is that everyone thinks that this country is either like an either or, right? That America is both a triumph and a tragedy. It's both. It's both a city on a hill and a dumpster fire. We are an and both story. And I think kids can handle that. We don't often even let them. Yeah, well, the, the thing is, if we don't acknowledge the tragedy, then we can't celebrate the triumph. If we don't recognize the woe, then we can't wake up to the reality of the wonder. Like, we got to understand all the negative and the bad stuff so that we can become better people. That's the goal. It's not to sort of focus on it or harp on it, is to acknowledge it. We got to acknowledge the whole history, our whole story. I think that makes us, it makes us figure out how to be better. And that's all we ultimately want. Celeste Ng and I talked about this when she was on. There are people who are afraid of the phrase critical race theory. There's a refusal. Let's be honest. 
Many of these folks are white. They're afraid to teach children anything negative about our racist past because they're afraid. Oh, no. If we do that, then the kids will know there's racism. The kids already know that, right? Spoiler alert. It's already been out there. You've always, in all of your books, I've not just read these ones, but the the past ones, in all of your books, you've talked about issues of justice in, in them. But I'm wondering if your shift from the topics of music and sports in this overt shift, have you encountered any pushback from people who think they don't like that you're doing something different? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've had pushback all along the way. I mean, when I wrote the crossover, there were teachers who felt like, you know, their fourth and fifth graders shouldn't read it because I was alluding to sex. I was like, huh? Uh, um, you know, to, to, to a school district in Texas saying that they were going to ban the undefeated. So, I mean, I've, there's been pushback. Am I concerned with it? No. In so much as there's always been pushback against people trying to um, be about the business of of telling the truth, of standing up and speaking the truth. And so it's par for the course. I try to focus on creating opportunities and creating books and creating a world where the these stories are accessible and and they are and, and I can and I can reach as many young people as I can. So so just in the past two weeks, I probably visited about ten schools. I try I try to spend my time being active and not sort of reactive. Sure. I mean we have to. Because in American story, for instance, you actually go on to answer that opening question. How do we tell that story? You do it by being brave enough to lift your voice, by holding history in one hand and clenching hope in the other. Kids can do that. Adults need to learn how to do that. America can be both. It's not just that if you don't know history, you're going to repeat it. But if you don't know history, we're walking around behaving like idiots out here, behaving badly. You've got that beautiful line in The Door of No Return where, oh, the woman on the boat, what's her name? Afua. Afua. She turns to Kofi and says, do not forget to listen for the beautiful things. I believe young people are always doing that. They can learn difficult history and they're always looking and listening for the beautiful things. I think we could do better by them and trust them to be capable of holding both. Adults could learn some things there too. Absolutely. Absolutely. And they could the goal is for these kids to to be able to make this world a little bit better than we're leaving it. For them to be better than we were. And the the only way we're going to do that is got to speak the truth to the people. Got to speak the truth. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. 
I've listened to your TED talk about this. I I know that it's is it true that the New York Times is it true that dozens of publishers passed on this book? Twenty two, twenty two publishers. But you know that's not even. I used to think that was a big deal, and it is. And in the moment, it's 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 disappointing. It's it's frustrating. It's sad. It's hard. But there's been so many authors over the years who've been rejected. You know, A Wrinkle in Time, um, the author of A Wrinkle in Time, Madeline, Madeline Langle, her book was rejected. Like her first book was rejected maybe 40 plus times. You know, John Grisham's book was rejected. He ended up self-publishing A Time to Kill initially. Oh, it didn't come out first. The Firm came out first and A Time right. to Kill was, you know, the drawer book. Right. So rejections are a part of it, man. I, I, I think, again, you know... We have to keep taking our shot. We have to keep shooting the ball. If you if you stop shooting it, you're never going to make it. And so I'm a big fan of embracing the no's in life because they're just sort of waiting to get out of the way so that the yes can come. But you got to be willing to wait and you got to be willing to work. That's right. What you want to do after you shoot that shot and it doesn't go in and you shoot that shot and it doesn't go in is you just want to kick the ball and storm Uh, out of the gym, which I remember doing once. And then your dad turns you back around and makes you go and shoot 10 more free throws because you always want to end the ball going in. I love that. end on a missed shot. I think that people, especially if you're in the creative line of work, if you're writing music, if you're creating art, it's often very subjective how people respond to that. But the truth is you just keep creating and the work needs to be enough. And if you keep creating in the face of no, that eventually you'll create a yes just by sticking with it. That's it. And it may not be the yes you envision, but it's going to be a yes. And you got to be, you, but you got to say yes to yourself. Yeah, that's, 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 a, that's a good one there. Say yes to yourself. I love that. Well, I feel like every time I turn around, you're working on something new. So what's next? What's coming down the pike? So I'm writing, eventually I'll be writing book two of the trilogy. You know, it'll answer some questions. I left it with a little bit of a cliffhanger. I have a memoir coming out. I wrote a memoir and it's called, it's called Why Fathers Cry at Night. And it's, it's a memoir about everything I've learned about love that I, it's like a love letter to my daughters about everything I've learned about love and longing and loss and grief. And so, yeah, I'm really excited about that. That comes out on May 23rd. Um, I'm working on a, an animated TV series based on my children's book, Acoustic Roosters Barnyard Band. Which, which is about a rooster that stars a jazz band with Duck Ellington and Mules Davis. So that I'm working on that with WGBH. And yeah, there's there's a number of other projects. I'm just I'm just writing and and trying to Amory, I'm trying to change the world one word at a time, my friend. Oh my friend, you are doing it. And by the way, you just listed like 17 more things. I was just looking for, you know, one thing that's coming next. 
You got the next 14 things all lined up, you big show off. It's amazing. I'm so excited for you. We'll link to everything on our show notes. Hey, is the memoir taken from, there's a poem, right? Okay, so you're good. You, if anybody's doing a podcast out there, this is a masterclass in how to prepare for your interview. Because yes, that title comes from a poem I wrote for my daughter, um, my, my firstborn, when she came home one day and said she wanted to go on a date. And so instead of telling her, no, you can never go on a date, which is what I wanted to do, I decided to write a poem to help me understand and, and deal with those feelings I was having. So I wrote this poem called 10 Reasons Why Fathers Cry at Night. And that sort of helped me. And I, I, I remember I slid the poem under her door and she came in my room the next morning crying. She's like, Dad, I'm so sorry I'm putting you through this, but I'm still going on a date. I love that. Your poem was one reason why she cried in the morning and still went on the date. That's beautiful. How old is she now? I think this, if yeah. I'm remembering, this is a little bit ago. She'll be 32 shortly in February. Okay, well, we always try to close with some questions like, you know, this and that, quick questions to get another view of the guy behind the fantastic books. Sure. Are you ready for a little wind down here? I am. All right, these are just multiple choice. You pick one. Coffee or tea? Tea. Mountains or beach? Beach. Dogs or cats? Cats. Love or basketball? Love. London, England or London, Panera Bread? London, London, London. <laughs> I miss that place. I miss it so badly. I cannot wait to move back there. What do you love about London? The walking, the food, the parks. London was my muse. It's where I found my muse. I rediscovered my, my passion for, for creating stories. And I became, even, I became challenged you know, in a way that I hadn't challenged myself before in a while. London was where I wrote Becoming Muhammad Ali, Door of No Return. It's where I wrote both of those books. Wow. See, I thought you wrote those books at Panera Bread. That's why I gave you the choice of London, England or Panera Bread. <laughs> yeah. Panera Bread was, 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 was in the beginning. That was, that was crossover, you know, but this is a new day, new day. Well, I love that they could both be your muse. Yep. That's yep. fantastic. All right, this one is a multiple choice, but there are three choices. Fireman, doctor, or king? Doctor. Are you an early bird or a night owl? Early bird. Are you a risk taker or the person who always knows where the band-aids are? I love dancing naked on the floor. <laughs> I will take the risk, my friend. Always, I am a say yes person. I love that. All right, these are fill in the blanks, these last few. If I wasn't working as a writer, I would be a... It's huh, a good question. I do not know what I would be. Nope. It's hard to separate you from the triumph of you now. I feel like if you'd said, well, I'd be a teacher, but then you'd still somehow end up writing again, or I would make movies and you'd end up writing those movies, or I would be a soccer coach and then you'd end up writing a story about soccer. It's hard to ever envision you separate from the work. Yeah. Ironically, I've done all three of those things you just said. So there you go. What's something people don't know about you? It could be quirky. It could be a love, a like, a pet peeve. How you load the dishwasher or the candy that you hide in the drawer of your desk. 
I hate bending down, so I try to accommodate that by doing these things in my life that will require me not to bend down. I bought a pretty cool SUV that allows me to step up. I bought, I'm buying a, a, a washer dryer that has the, the drawers on the bottom of it that lift it up. So I don't have to, and it's front loading, so I don't have to bend down. Um, so I do a lot of things in my life. I got a bed, the Tempur-Pedic that rises and stuff. Like I literally, I plan, I plan my life around not having to bend down because I'm six feet four and I hate every, if you're in my kitchen, I have friends over and I cook a lot. I'm a big cooking fan. Um, I keep all my stuff that I use regularly high up so nobody can reach it but me. I got pans and pots way up in the ceiling, like in the cabinets up top. I don't keep I keep very little below because I can't I, don't, I hate bending down. <laughs> nice. What do you like to cook? What's a Kwame special? Today I'm making vegetarian lasagna, spinach, broccoli, carrots. I make I make fish chowder. I do a lot of kinds of different teriyaki, barbecue, fried chicken for my kid because that's her favorite thing. Uh, salmon rice bowls. Um, I make a lot of uh, international dishes like chicken tagine, which I learned in Morocco. Uh, Red Red, which is like a bean stew from Ghana. Oh, yeah. I love grilling. I got a new grill out back. That's excellent. Miss Sweet Tea would probably ask for seconds of your vegetable lasagna. That's nice. (laughs) I love it. There you go. There you go, my friend. (laughs) What's one of your go-to songs? The song you listen to to... Pick you up to get you in that oh, the, some kind of place. Oh, yeah, definitely. Everybody wants to rule the world. Tears for fears, my friend. Tears for fears. I heard a cover band play that song. It was like Tears for Spears. I don't know. Fears for Fears. I I, I don't know. They, they were a cover band, but I didn't know at the time. So I, for years after that, I assumed I had seen the Tears for Fears band, you know, in this... <laughs> Oh, Dive funny. in Akron, which is clearly not <laughs> where they play. <laughs> uh, what's the book you love? Any book by Percival Everett, who's a novelist, and he just has me laughing and thinking and laughing some more. Brilliant novelist. Nice. I don't think I've read Percival Everett. I'm going to write that down. Thanks. He's got a book called, check out a book called I Am Not Sidney Poitier. I Am Not Sidney Poitier. Got it. Thank you. All right. Last two. What's your favorite ice cream? Chocolate. And then last one. If we were to take a picture of you truly happy and doing something you love, what would we see? On the beach, listening to bossa nova music, reading a book, and then going in my resort hotel room, taking a nap, and then going down to the spa. So basically, you'd see me at some sort of resort. (laughs) All right. We're doing this next interview there but yep. it'll be off the record and we'll just wave to each other as i go into my spa too i love it i love it kwame alexander thank you so much for making time i know we're catching you in the middle of book tours and projects and you're called this way and pulled that and i'm so grateful that you were able to spend a few moments with us thank you for letting me talk about this one wild precious life of mine my friend i'm so honored you've written that Quote, I am a hopeful person full of fiery optimism. Well, I am too. And 
So I'm admiring your optimism and awesomeness, and I'm grateful to know that you're out there in this world. Very cool. Ditto. Wild Precious Life is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to executive producers Gerardo Orlando and Michael D'Aloya. Producer Sarah Wilgrube and audio engineer Ian Douglas. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.